we've been discovering the kingdom of God over the past couple of weeks, and 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 I'm excited about our third week because this is where the Old Testament meets the New Testament. Okay. This week, we're going to discover that the kingdom of God, as it was presented in the Old Testament, and we'll dive deep into the scriptures to see what it looks like when God becomes king over all his people. Now, we all know that Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Christians properly honor and revere the king of the kingdom. The question today is, would it be laid out for us that way in the Old Testament as well? Because remember, the Old Testament is the Bible Jesus used, right? When Jesus is quoting Scripture, he's quoting the Old Testament. What's more, the Old Testament is the Bible the first century Christians used. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter searched the Old Testament to develop their understanding of the work of Jesus. So we will discover today how the Old Testament was preparing God's people long ago to receive the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as it was mentioned here, it's not just a history lesson. There's much to learn about God's will and God's way from the Old Testament. Would you agree? There there are three places we're going to visit in larger need of discovery today. The Exodus story, the story of King David, and the prophecies of Isaiah. You will remember the Exodus story. The book of Exodus tells us how God's people moved from slavery to freedom, right? And how God's people discovered the glory in the majesty of their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Exodus story, in the Exodus story, we find the kingdom of God presented very subtly at first and later in a very bold, outright way. Exodus tells the true story of how God used Moses to free the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery. Do you remember the ten plagues? I'm glad four of you do. Do you remember the beauty and the terror of the Passover? The thrill of crossing the Red Sea? Perhaps you remember that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried the same thing, the Red Sea came crashing in on them. So in the blink of an eye, the greatest military power on earth at that time was totally defeated. On the other side of the Red Sea, the people of Israel watched in amazement as they saw the work of God, this happening right before their eyes. And after the army of Egypt was defeated, the people of Israel sang a song of praise. Okay, Now, this song was probably not like any of our praise songs this morning. This was a wild celebration. The people of Israel thought that they were going to die only to see God rescue them in this dramatic and miraculous fashion. So they're going crazy and praising. Oh, wait, shouldn't that be the way we praise our God today? Because that's that's our story, too. Spiritually, we were dead, were we not? He rescued us from spiritual death in a dramatic and miraculous fashion. Amen. I knew I heard Pastor Mark say amen right there. Okay. But in Exodus chapter 15, the people of Israel sang what we now know as what's called the Song of Moses. We we would think it's a very strange worship song because it talks about the horse and the rider being thrown into the sea. It talks about how the story of the Israel's freedom will instill fear in all their enemies. But I want to call your attention to the very last line in the song. Chapter 15, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. This is the very first mention of God's kingdom in the Old Testament. 
Do you hear it? Do you see it? See, okay, some of you see it, some of you don't, okay? As this worship song draws to an end, the people sing, the Lord will reign forever and ever. That word reign is the beginning of the kingdom of God theology in the Old Testament because only a king can reign, right? The people of Israel were singing and shouting that God was their king and that God would be their king forever and ever. And God received this praise and then later confirmed that message again when he spoke from Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. As God prepares to deliver the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, here's what he says. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see the kingdom of God in the Exodus story now? As God describes his rescue of the people of Israel, God himself declares his purpose that the nation of Israel would become a kingdom of priests and a holy holy nation. It was God's intention back then that after Israel possessed the promised land of Canaan, that the people of Israel would be a shining example of what it was like to live with God as their king. And the other nations of the world would behold Israel's beauty and holiness. The other nations of the world would travel to Jerusalem to study what it would be like to live in godly order and peace. This is why God rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Because he wanted an entire kingdom that consisted solely of priests dedicated to him. Now, many of us are not familiar with the work of the priesthood. But at its core... The work of a priest is to represent humanity before God and to represent God before humanity, right? And one of the great gifts of the Reformation is the rediscovery of this priestly work that was not reserved for just a certain few people. Every believer was to be his own priest. Nod your heads if you get it, right? Martin Luther called it the priesthood of all believers, okay? And we see this in Exodus. The people of Israel are set free so that they can represent God to the rest of the watching world. Now, do you see the application in that for us today? Through Jesus Christ, God has set us free from the slavery of sin. Amen? In order for us to live lives that speak of God's goodness and God's glory. God has rescued us from sin so that we can live in the beauty of his holiness. So from the very days of Exodus until our day here and now, God desires a community of people that can live and represent the grace, the mercy and the love of God. And the Apostle Peter, drawing on this very same verse in Exodus and all this understanding, writes in 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession, listen, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, 
But now you are the people of God. You ha- Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what was true of Israel in the time of Exodus is also true for us as believers today. We have received mercy, amen? In order that we would show the mercy and the goodness of God to a watching world, a world desperately in need of the good news of the gospel in this evil day. Would you agree with that? You understand? You're with me. Nod your heads if you're with me so far. Okay, we've seen Exodus. Okay, the second great picture of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament is the reign of King David. Now, David's life is a very long and complicated story, but the significance of King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, is that he is a representation of the eventual Messiah that was to come, okay? Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, right? When the crowds received Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, right? All Israel knew that Messiah would be a great king like King David. And while King David himself was not perfect, he was a type of Messiah. Consider the words of the blind man Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Where did Bartimaeus get this idea that Jesus was the son of David? Actually, it was not his idea at all. In that day, all of Israel expected that the Messiah would be called the son of David. And Israel expected that the glory and the greatness of the kingdom during the reign of King David would be restored to Israel when Messiah appeared, right? Listen to what the people shouted as as Jesus entered Jerusalem, Mark 11 on Palm Sunday. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. There it is again. Kingdom. Okay. The greatness of David's kingdom led the people of Israel to look for a day when God himself would be king among them. Now, the application for us today is that we should not only receive Jesus as our savior, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Right. We should also receive him as the king of our lives. Amen. Lord of all. Amen. We are subjects of the king. We are called to order our lives around the values and the priorities of the king. We are called to represent the son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you with me so far? We we are to be kingdom of priests. Representing the son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then third and finally, and in the grandest possible way, the prophet Isaiah spoke of what the world would be like when the son of God took his place as the king of God's eternal kingdom. Now, the Exodus story, if you will, is kind of like a big screen television representing the work of God in a dramatic way. Then you have the king of David and his life is bigger and grander, presenting the kingdom of God on a much much larger screen, like a movie screen. But man, when you get to Isaiah, it's like you're in an IMAX theater, okay? 
Isaiah not only prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, he also prophesied about the rule and the reign of the Messiah. A kingdom that would come to earth and last forever. And that there are so many passages in Isaiah that declare the coming kingdom and the greatness of the king. But we only have time to look at this one. It's a very familiar one. Let's examine Isaiah chapter 9. Okay? Look at this. For to us a child is born... To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, that's a Christmas passage. Yes, it's a verse commonly quoted at Christmas time. But notice in the middle of the verse, the phrase, the government will be on his shoulders. This is is a kingdom of God reference. But wait, it gets even more grand. If you read on in this chapter, look at verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So verse 7 enlarges our understanding of Isaiah's prophecy. Yes, Jesus was born to us as a child, but he grew into a king. Amen. And he took the throne of his father, David. And Isaiah prophesies that the government of God and the peace of Christ will be without end. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would establish and uphold God's kingdom and justice and righteousness forever and ever. It's a glorious prophecy. And the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies about the king and, and his kingdom. But, but as we begin to kind of wrap this up today, all these passages are from the Old Testament. So, so imagine with me, if you will, the very first Christians, those who knew Jesus, those who walked with him in the first century, they heard his teachings about the gospel of the kingdom of God. They saw the horror of the crucifixion, followed closely by the glory of the resurrection. Amen. And after the Lord ascended to the right hand of the Father, these earliest Christians ran to their Bibles, the Old Testament, and discovered that God had been teaching Israel about the coming of the king and his forever kingdom throughout the entire book. This is not merely a history lesson for us. The Old Testament is still God's word to us today, especially as it points to Jesus, the king of the kingdom, right? And the king of our hearts. Amen. If we are citizens of his kingdom. Somebody say amen about that. one. Yeah. Now, in all truth, today's message, you know, we cannot possibly unlock all the secrets of the kingdom of God found in the Old Testament. But perhaps we've discovered just enough of the trail to go exploring in the Old Testament on our own because that's exactly what these first Christians did, these first century Christians. After receiving Jesus as their Lord, they discovered the Lord's fingerprints over all the Old Testament. After all, it is one Bible inspired by one spirit. Amen? I, I heard someone just recently, well, not recently, actually, I've heard this often. I heard some contemporary believers make statements to this effect. Well, I live under the New Covenant, the New Testament. As if to say the Old Testament does not have rich truths and spirit-filled mandates 
for all of us to live by. Like the Old Testament and the New Testament don't make up one Bible which we believe is the living Word of God. Amen? Amen. But oh, what riches await us as we find the gospel of the kingdom, not only in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. It is a rich source of growth and maturity for every believer in Christ. So as we close today, please keep in mind that the great gospel of the kingdom of God includes us to be kings and priests in God's kingdom. Remember the words we discovered in 1 Peter 2, 9. We are the priests who deliver the good news of Jesus to all the world. Amen. We are the ones who show a watching world the mercy and the goodness of God. We are the ones who represent humanity before God and God before humanity. By the way we live our lives, the way we react to circumstances in our lives, the words we say, the love we express, the acceptance, the encouragement that we convey. And the question I ask you to take home and meditate on this week is simply this. How will you fulfill your great calling? How will you fulfill your great calling? You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. We thought it would be a wonderfully sacred way to celebrate the fact that we are all a part of the royal priesthood today and joint heirs with Jesus Christ by participating in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as we close this service. So, Permit me this brief instruction. I'm going to ask those assisting us to please come forward and take their places right now. I'm going to ask the praise team to please come forward. And and as they get in place, I'm actually going to ask the praise team to be the first to come forward and to accept accept this. Let me just tell you that we will have ushers leading you to come forward by section to to partake of these sacred elements. You can go ahead and get get your elements, please, and take your position. And we are going to be taking communion by intinction, which means that you dip the bread into the wine and and then you partake together with bread and wine, okay? And uh, we're going to have the ushers lead you by section to do this. I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and come forward right now. On the night our Lord was betrayed, He met with His disciples in the upper room. He took bread and broke it, passing it to His disciples, saying, This is my body broken for you. Take this and eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and passing it around to his disciples, he said, this represents the blood of my new covenant, which was shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Take and drink this in remembrance of me every time you drink it, because I will not drink it again, any fruit of the vine, until I drink it with you anew in my father's kingdom. So today we participate in a very sacred sacrament. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray this prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we dedicate these earthly elements to you at this point in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
And we are asking, dear Jesus, that as we partake of these common elements, you would not only remind us of the sacrificial love that made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ, but you would remind us of our responsibility to represent you before our peers and to represent our peers before you as we pray for them and intervene and intercede on their behalf. Gracious Heavenly Father, we rub shoulders every day with people who have no idea that eternity is coming close. And we are asking, Father, that the kingdom of heaven would begin breaking in on all of us even now so that our perspectives are changed. Even like these who've been through such grief, Father, their perspectives have been changed to realize there's an opportunity to live in such a way to spend eternity with their loved ones again. And Father, for this world that's hurting and for this world that's broken, only you can fix the brokenness. So Father, remind us we have a sacred responsibility. We are to represent you before those peers that we rub shoulders with every day. Speak to our hearts individually as we participate together today in the sacrament of your blood and broken body. Amen.